Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Good morning. God is wonderful, isn't he? Uh, before I get started, let me just have a word of prayer real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, for um, the fact that you are wonderful. God, that, uh, that you love us enough that you would send your son to, sacri- or to die for us, and that his sacrifice offers us eternal life. So Lord, I would just pray that you would go before the message this morning, uh, give me clarity of speech, open hearts to hear, God, uh, what it is that we have to say. So uh, bless this message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, good morning. Um, anytime I'm given the opportunity to share my heart with all of you on a Sunday morning, it truly blesses me. So it's an honor to stand before you this morning to bring the morning message. You know, I don't get these opportunities very often. It's as though Pastor Mark is afraid I might do something stupid or embarrassing. It's ridiculous. I don't get embarrassed. I'm kidding, of course. A lot of the times when the pulpit is available and Pastor Mark is away, I'm away with him. So that's why these moments are so important to me. So thank you very much. And again, it's an honor to stand before you and preach what God has put on my heart. It also means that I received another preaching outfit. (laughs) But this time, my sister Marguerite didn't let me choose my socks. She chose them. They are fine pigs. Let me hide those suckers right now. Uh, this morning message is titled, I titled it, uh, Passive or Passion? God Allows Us to Choose. But before I get into the message, I'd like to tell you a story. So, sound booth, could I get you guys to dim the lights just a little bit? So imagine with me a large field near a mountainous range. It's early evening. The evening meal has already been consumed. All the daily tasks have been completed. There are several hundred men who are scattered throughout this encampment. And as they begin to settle in for the evening, they light campfires to protect themselves as a gentle breeze brings a slight chill to the air. Many of the men are sitting around these campfires relishing the warmth that only a campfire can bring. But one man, one man has established his camp far from the others, just he and a few trusted companions under a fruit tree. They are part of the larger group, but for some reason, they have distanced themselves from everyone else. He too has a fire lit, and his shadow is visible by everyone in the encampment. He is sitting there, staring into the fire, and everyone can see it. 
Around 20 to 25 men are huddled around each fire, leaning in to feel the fire's warmth because the evening chill has gotten cooler and the warmth the fire provides is the only thing that these men have confidence in. Imagine with me the somber mood that has enclosed this entire encampment. No one is speaking. Some of the men are staring into the star-filled night, peering into the cloudless sky, seemingly deep in thought. Some are just gazing into the fire, somewhat hypnotized by the dancing flames. Some are poking and prodding the fire with sticks, stoking it to draw more warmth. But again, nobody is speaking. Imagine with me embers rising up from the flames with each poke, rising up to the darkened sky, then just floating onward with no apparent destination, just floating upward and joining the stars. Early evening has now become evening, and still no words are voiced. The mood has shifted now from somber to almost desperate. You can tell the men are thinking. They are pondering their current position. They draw near to the fire to embrace the warmth the fire provides. And as they draw closer, the noticeable silence is broken by what can be described only as a barely audible whisper. What are we doing here? We've been here for days and we have done absolutely nothing. Are we going to do something? Or, or is tomorrow going to be like today and yesterday? I have never seen him like this. What's going through his head? A couple of days ago, he had so much confidence, but now, now he doesn't do a thing. Why are we even here? As the fires die down, leaving only smoldering coals, the men begin to lie down for the evening, not knowing what tomorrow will bring. Everyone eventually drifts off, except for one. This one is battling an internal conflict. This person is dealing with an internal conflict and his frustration for passivity is battling his loyalty to authority. He's not slept all night. And this conflict has accelerated his heart rate, which, uh, which increases the flow of adrenaline. This conflicted feeling of anxiousness and anger begin to intensify and continues until it finally climaxes and explodes in his heart. He jumps up and verbalizes what everyone else has been thinking. I can't take it anymore. This sitting around is driving me crazy. You can't get anything done by doing nothing. He wakes up his traveling companion and says, come on, let's see what we're up against. Let's see what's going on. We need answers. We, don't do, uh, we need to do something. Doing nothing is not a plan. It's just not what we do. Of course, I'm speaking of a story that is told in 1 Samuel 14. Uh, uh, 1 Samuel 14, just please follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 1. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philippi, uh, Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men 
among whom was uh, Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitab, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Verse 4, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sinai. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other towards the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or few. His young armor bearer said, verse 7, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Do you notice the difference between Saul and his son, Jonathan? One chapter earlier, Samuel rebukes uh, Saul for not waiting on him to offer the burnt offering. He was told that his kingdom would not endure because he didn't keep the Lord's commands. But now he's doing nothing. He is content with passivity. Jonathan, however, uh, he's not passive at all. He can't stand waiting around and feels that God could possibly work in their favor if he just does something. Let's listen to what Jonathan does. Verse 6, Jonathan said, Come then, we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, Wait there until we come, come to you, we will stay where we are and, we will, and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Okay, a little bit of transparency here. I am a United States veteran. You know, and every Veterans Day Sunday here at church, when all the veterans are asked to stand up to be recognized for their service, I don't feel qualified to stand up because my service never really put my life in jeopardy. And the only reason I do stand up is because my wife and sister won't stop staring at me until I do. So I stand up. You see, I was a U.S. I was in the United States Navy. I served four and a half years, but I never saw a ship. Four and a half years, and the only ship I ever saw was the one in boot camp in San Diego, and it was made of wood. I've seen pictures, but I've never seen a real ship. So I, I tell you that to qualify what I'm about to say. I am not, couldn't even find a ship, so I'm definitely not a military uh, strategist. But I do not believe that Jonathan used clever battle tactics. You see, the, the last thing that I would want to do if I was outnumbered 20, 30, 40 to 1 is make myself visible to my enemy. That doesn't seem smart to me. Verse uh, 11 says that both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outposts. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they are hiding in. The men, uh, the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. Uh, the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half acre. So Jonathan and his armor bearer killed 20 men, and yet only Jonathan was armed. The end of chapter 13 of 1 Samuel uh, tells us that only Saul and Jonathan had weapons. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier was Saul and Jonathan, 
had a sword or spear in his hand, only Saul and his son Jonathan. See, Jonathan's passion to serve God prompted him into action, and God responded. He had no idea if God would even show up. Remember in verse 4, he says, perhaps that God will act in our favor. So I don't know about all of you, but perhaps does not invoke action from me. Maybe? No, I don't know. Outnumbered 30, 40 to 1? Maybe? No, I don't think so. Listen, God is boundless. He's infinite. He can do anything he wants, anytime he wants. But in my experience, God waits for us to act and then responds to our action. I believe God reacts to our, uh, our action. I also believe that God's reaction is usually far greater than anything we can accomplish or do on our own. It reminds me uh, of a situation I had a couple months ago where I got an epidural in my back, okay? Um, as we were prepping for the procedure, this extremely young-looking, extremely young-looking pain doctor said, Mr. Hawes, would you mind if I asked you a question? And I said, no, go ahead. He said, I, I know how old you are because I've seen your medical file. How do you stay in such great shape? Do you work out? And I told him, no, 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 I, I found this pill at GNC. And all I do is take one every single morning. And my muscles seem to expand. My body leans out. And he's like, wow, they have a pill like that? I said, no, you idiot. Of course I work out. <laughs> okay. I did not call him an idiot, nor was I thinking he was an idiot. <laughs> if you want to look fit and in shape, you have to watch what you eat and exercise. It just doesn't happen on its own. And I believe it's the same with work in God's kingdom. It doesn't just happen on its own. God desires to use us to accomplish it. Accomplish it. God responded to Jonathan's act because uh, God responded to Jonathan's act, and because of Jonathan's act, Israel routs the Philistines. Verse 15. Then panic struck the whole army, those in camp and field, and those in the, in the outpost and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic set by God. Saul's lookout at Gebeah in uh, Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who is left. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Then, verse 28, then Saul and all his men assembled and went to, ba to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Now, that right there is God showing up. You know, I remember a time about, that was about eight or nine years ago, when my sister and I were invited to a young adult church that met on the Miracle Mile. You know, we really weren't paying attention to the message, quite frankly. It was a young adult church. And um, we were talking more about our Serve Our Stockton project. And we were talking about hosting a music festival later on in the afternoon, like from noon uh, till six, that people who participated in the work projects of the Serve Our Stockton Day could come and celebrate and share their experiences. My sister, uh, uh, my sister mentioned, and I'll never forget this conversation, she, she mentioned, why don't we do it at Weber Point? It's the largest outdoor venue in Stockton. And I said, how about Victory Park? Because they are do a summer concert series there. And she goes, Weber Point, you know? And, and I said, well, that's, that's a big park. She said, and I'll never forget this, she said, we, uh, we, we'll do whatever you want, Grant. But if you choose the smaller venue, all you're doing is limiting how much God can bless it. 
You know, and I led my sister to Christ, and now she's teaching me a lesson about faith. So we did pick um, Weber Point, and it was a large step in faith for me. And that is the year that the day before the festival, God showed up and supplied the 10,000 Johnsonville sausages. And then the day of the festival, uh, that was the day before, the day of the festival, the 500 pounds of hot dog buns in which to serve them on. Jonathan showed up, or Jonathan demonstrated passion, and God showed up at, the, at a Philistine outpost. The, the Bible is filled with stories where God shows up, but it's generally after a demonstration of passion followed by action. We encourage that type of faith, passion, and growth here at Quail Lakes Baptist Church. We have Go Projects, where, where they're set up and designed specifically to activate the con- congregation, where we wear our Go shirts, you know, and what, what do they say? They, they don't say people who go get somewhere eventually. They say people who go grow, right? Our mission statement doesn't say winning and building passive, lifeless followers of Jesus Christ. No, it says winning and building passionate, lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. And if that's our mission statement, then church, we need to step away from passivity and step into activity. We need to step away from indifference and step into engagement. We need to stop hiding our apathy behind our piety and get involved. If we want to see God react on our behalf, we need to be passionate on his behalf. When we are passionate on God's behalf, he shows up, and when God shows up, his reaction is far greater than anything we could do on our own. Now, I'm not saying that people here this morning are not passionate. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that uh, people here aren't being built up and growing spiritually. We have a wonderful uh, discipleship department. But if our, if our mission statement is winning and building passionate, lifelong followers of Jesus Christ, we have to look at the first word of that mission statement. It's winning. How are we doing with the winning? The most recent Pew Research poll showed that church attendance was trending downward from 39% in 2007 to 36% in 2014. 36% of people in North America claim to regularly attend religious services. It's now 2019, and I'm sure that number is even lower. So why the trend downward? Some might say that the contrasting worldviews plays a part. Maybe. Uh, Some might say that our culture has changed, and with that change, our culture has moved away from spiritual uh, things. That's possible. I would argue that church attendance is trending downwards because we have stopped inviting people to church. Sure, if you know someone who who professes a faith in Jesus and is looking for a church, we we invite them. But if you're not quite sure where this person stands, first of all, that's the person that needs the church more than anybody. But if we're not sure where they stand, um, we're not inviting them. And just one look at the back of your bulletin at church attendance will tell you that. I remember when this church would house 1,500 people every single Sunday, no matter what Sunday it was, whether Mark was here or not. So we have stopped inviting. Could we be doing what the early pioneers did when they kind of moved out west? Anytime they came to an area where they were going to be for any prolonged period of time, they would circle their wagons and everything they valued they would put inside that circle. They would circle the wagons, put their women, their children, their livestock, everything they valued, 
to protect them from the predators and threats of their culture. I think maybe we have circled our wagons as well. We may fear rejection or aren't comfortable with having spiritual conversations with people whose beliefs are different than ours. Maybe we have no real relationships with people outside our faith and want to protect what we have. Um, and so we put everything inside the circle and protect it from the threats of our present culture. Let me give you a better illustration. How many of you guys here have seen the movies Meet the Parents or Meet the Fockers? Okay, you remember Agent Jack Burns, Robert De Niro? If you wanted to be part of his family, you had to be within his circle of trust. Do you remember that? Okay, and that's Greg. He's always outside that circle. I think we as believers may have created our own circle of trust. We've created a holy huddle and are content with associating only with people who share our beliefs. You know, Jesus himself dealt with an opposing circle. Let's call this circle the circle of law. And who was inside that circle? The Pharisees. And unlike Greg Fokker, Jesus had no desire to be inside the circle. Jesus was confronted many times when he engaged with those who were outside the circle. And most times when he engaged with people outside the circle, he was engaging with people that those inside the circle would never talk to. The Gospel of Luke highlights a story about someone who was definitely outside the circle of law. Luke 19 tells the story of a tax collector who lived in Jericho whose name was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Okay, that children's song, how many people remember that? That children's song does, does not match my imagination or, the, or portray Zacchaeus the way I see him in my mind. You know, scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about him other than he is a short, wealthy, chief, chief tax collector who wanted to see Jesus. Being a short man, he had to climb a sycamore fig tree in order to glimpse, get a glimpse of Jesus. The way I see it, though, is like he's a short man, he's despised. Every time he tries to push his way up front, the, the whole crowd shifts. You know, I, I was doing that to Tim at uh, Tapestry last Sunday. So, so if I were to write a children's song, it would probably go something like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Despised by the crowd, even though he was proud, lost all his dignity. You see, Zacchaeus was wealthy, and everyone knew it. His dress probably showed how wealthy he was. He probably wore an inner garment, an outer garment, a robe, maybe a sash to tie it all together, some fancy head covering. But let me tell you what Zacchaeus didn't wear. Because back in Jesus' time, there were no Bethlehem boxers or temple tidy whities If there was a cool breeze in the air, Zacchaeus knew it. I also imagine the reason he wanted to see Jesus because scripture doesn't really say, it just says he wanted to see him. It doesn't say why he wanted to see him. It didn't say that, that he thought he needed salvation. He just wanted to see Jesus. Um, and I imagine that Jesus being in Jericho is a big deal. Everyone's talking about it. People are crowding the streets. And if this was happening in his town, he was going to be there. So much excitement. It was almost like, like they were opening a Chick-fil-A in, in, in Jericho. And Zacchaeus wanted to be the first in line to get his spicy, crispy deluxe. And no one would let him in. A again, um, when, when uh, Jesus stopped at the sycamore fig tree and po pointed up to him and called him down, 
It says everyone that was on the streets muttered and grumbled that Jesus was going to be the guest of a sinner. But Jesus called Zacchaeus down. Again, in my overactive brain, you, you know, I think that uh, Zacchaeus loved this. You know, because they're not letting him in. And he's looking, he's like, whose name did they just, whose name did Jesus just call? Did he call your name? No, he called my name. Is he, is he staying at your house? No, he's staying at my place. So I think he relished this. I think he enjoyed it. The text doesn't describe how long Jesus stayed with Zacchaeus, nor what they discussed. What it does mention is the result of Zacchaeus' encounter with the living God. Zacchaeus gave half of his possessions to the poor and vowed to make restitution to those he had cheated. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Another encounter with someone outside the circle is recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 4. Jesus encounters uh, a woman uh, by the well he is sitting at. You guys all know the story. She's been married five times. The person she's living with now is, is not her husband. Jesus kind of explains this, uh, this living water to her and then claims his deity when she says, uh, I'll ask the Messiah when he comes. I'm sure he'll explain it to us. No, he says, I am he that you speak of. She forgets why she even was there. Because the text says that she leaves her water jar, goes straight back to her town, and tells everybody. Scripture reports that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They urged him to stay, and after two days, uh, and because of his words, many more became believers. In both of those stories, an encounter with Christ restores and changes lives of these two people. You know, I recently went on a tour to Greece and Turkey with Pastor Mark. And there was a woman that was uh, on the tour. She doesn't go to this church. She was friends of some people that go to this church. And um, we, probably three times, we, the topic of the homeless problem in Stockton and Lodi came up. And she kept asking me, Grant, what's the solution? Grant, what's the solution? And, man, I could hear that question for weeks after that trip ended. Grant, what's the solution? And finally it came to me. The church is the solution. How that looks, I don't know. But I know that we're the solution. The church is always the solution. The church exists to be a place that invites people uh, so their lives can be restored and changed. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think we do the changing or the restoring. Jesus is the only one that can do that. I don't think Jesus is asking us to do that. I think Jesus is asking us to invite people so that he can change and restore their lives. My neighbor across the street, Stacy Erickson, invited me to Coin Lakes Baptist Church 15 or 20 years ago. This month, the month of June, I celebrate seven years of being on staff here at Coin Lakes. One year as a part-time coordinator, six years full-time on the ministerial staff, with the last two years being an ordained reverend. What the heck? How does that happen? It happened because she invited me. If, if you would have told me when she invited me, that I would be standing here preaching a morning message, you know what I would have said? I would have said, when pigs fly. <laughs> I will close, close by giving you all an opportunity to demonstrate your passion. We've posted, uh, and, and it's going to get posted after this service as well, an invitation to this church. 
an invitation to Sunday worship at this church. And we're going to ask that you share it. We want to flood Facebook with these shares. You might not be able to go and talk to the person directly and say, you know, why don't you come to church? But if you share it on your Facebook page, every one of your friends, you're inviting them. But don't share it statically. And what I mean by that is a, a dear friend of mine here on staff, I won't tell you his name, said that if someone shares something to Facebook and doesn't say why they shared it, it's not worth his time reading it. So explain what brought you to this church. And more importantly, why you stayed. If you explain why you came to Quail and why you stayed, you know, maybe Hernando will read it. <laughs> so share it as soon as the service is over, okay? Because you guys might forget. Some of you were on that wagon train moving out west. You know you are. So anyways, um, share it as soon as service is over, because you never know, man. You could be inviting your next senior pastor. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that, um, uh, that the gift you have given us is easy to share. God, it is so easy to share, and, and the results are fantastic. So we thank you for the technology that gives us the opportunity to do this. Um, Lord, go before that, and bless it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That walk this life But they never Find a friend It could have been me Don't leave with any burdens. I know we had an altar prayer time, 
but we will have prayer counselors over here by the organ and just remember if it could have been any one of us would you pray with me Heavenly Father, thank you for, for the grace and the mercy that you offer. Thank you that it's, uh, it's so undeserved and unmerited, and yet you freely give it. So God, let us honor that. Let us honor that with the way we live our lives, with the way we interact with one another. And God, may you get all the glory and the honor and praise. For we pray it all in your name. Amen. Thanks for coming.